Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. See Hollywood's biggest stars, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie, and Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Time Magazine says DiCaprio and Pitt are marvelous together. Now with over 20 minutes of additional scenes and exclusive access to the set, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the new action-adventure game from Respawn Entertainment, taking place in between Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars A New Hope. Players will wield a lightsaber, hone their force powers, and adventure across the galaxy in hopes of rebuilding the Jedi Order. Become a Jedi in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, available now on Xbox One, PS4, and PC rated T14. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com. Riding solo today uh, as Andy flies off to Thanksgiving pastures beyond Los Angeles. I am staying here. It is Wednesday when you are hearing this. And today's episode features my interview with Ben Smith, the showrunner for USA's Treadstone. Uh, Treadstone is obviously an expansion on the kind of Jason Bourne universe, uh, going back a lot to the Robert Ludlum novels that those beloved movies are based on. And it's a really, really interesting show. It kind of combines some of the sort of panic suite, panic room vibes of the Bourne movies where you've got a lot of CIA operatives in you know, surveillance offices checking out various European and American cities, yelling at each other, clearing the room. And then you've got uh, a lot of like almost... I would say 24 style thriller action going on. So it's essentially like a couple of shows in one. It actually is two shows in one as it takes on two different timelines. One is set in the 70s and one set uh, in the contemporary times. And it's about a group of uh, basically assassins being awoken. And what they're being awoken to do is the subject matter of the show. So it's a really cool show. I really enjoyed my conversation with Ben. He uh, has been overseeing, he's been kind of like the keeper of the flame of the Bourne universe in a lot of ways. And so he's worked on several of the movies and and has a key hand in developing and, and producing the show that's on USA Now. So my conversation with him happens in a few minutes. Before we get to that, I thought what I would do, I've done this a few times uh, with Allison Herman, uh, with Greenwald, but we usually, every once in a while, try to do a primetime grid where we basically give you shows to watch as if it was still... The good old days when there was 8, 8, 30, 9, 10, 11, and people would spend four hours in front of a television. You're going to have a lot of time, I would imagine. Or maybe you won't, but hopefully you have some time to rest and relax over the next couple of days to uh, to chill out with family or maybe escape your family and you want something to watch. Maybe you want a couple of things to watch. Over the last few weeks, Andy and I have obviously been talking a lot about The Mandalorian and Watchmen. So if you haven't caught up on those, it's a great time to do that. I would also highly recommend The Crown. Um, incredible season, and you can listen to the last three episodes of The Watch feature myself and Amanda Dobbins talking about episodes one through four, five through seven, and eight through ten. So you have your your companions there, but I have a couple of recommendations to make. So starting in the eight o'clock slot, a show that has been criminally overlooked, I would say, is HBO's Mrs. Fletcher. So this is a Katherine Hahn show. She plays a woman who is essentially an empty nester when her co- her son goes off to college. She's a, a divorcee, 
and she's living in, uh, I think, New Jersey and just kind of going about her daily life as uh, an executive administrative person at a, um, at a retirement community and kind of has arrived at this what next phase of her life and what's next for her is she discovers internet pornography, both as a gateway to exploring her fantasy life and also thinking about her sexuality as a single woman with no, no one else living in her home. And she's just navigating that in her daily life as she's trying to uh, <laughs> figure out what, what to do with herself. And there's also a B-plot about her son at college, Josh Hamilton, who a lot of people remember from several Noah Baumbach movies. And funnily enough, he plays one of those uh, guys sitting at a computer in one of the Bourne movies. But he plays uh, Catherine Hunt's ex. Dominic Lombardozzi from The Wire is also in it. There's a lot of great character actors in it. But there's just... You know, Catherine Hahn is Catherine Hahn. She's one of the unique and um, most dynamic talents we have on any size screen right now. And the show is kind of a throwback to, I don't know, I mean, it's a throwback to, it, it, it is somewhat high concept because it's basically a show about a woman discovering internet pornography in her 40s. But it's also pretty low concept. It's just about a bunch of people's lives at a certain point. There's a, a bunch of really compelling supporting characters in the show, but it's essentially driven by Han and it's driven by her performance and it's driven by her neurosis and her comic timing, which is impeccable. And it's, uh, you know, comes from Tom Parada, who worked with Damon Lindelof on The Leftovers. And it's interesting to watch the two of them sort of diverge and Damon doing Watchmen, Tom doing uh, Mrs. Fletcher. I don't necessarily think Watchmen plus Mrs. Fletcher equals Leftovers. But I do think that some of the things that those guys are specifically interested in are coming to the fore with the shows that they're working on now. From my understanding, Mrs. Fletcher is a limited series, so there's just this season to watch. I believe five episodes have gone up on HBO now. They're a half hour each. So far, they're just really, like, human. Uh, there's moments of drama. There's moments of, of you know, sort of emotional catharsis. But for the most part, it's like a, a sort of comedy of manners. And it's it's a really delightful show. So Mrs. Fletcher is what I would recommend for 8 o'clock, although it is, gets a little racy for 8 o'clock if you're thinking about things in terms of that, that early family primetime slot. Things get even darker for the next show I'm suggesting, which is Servant. So Servant comes out on Friday, I believe. And it is the Apple TV Plus show from M. Night Shyamalan. And it starts Toby Kebbell and Lauren Ambrose from Six Feet Under. And... Uh, I think the less said about the plot, the better. The reason why I really like this show is because I feel like M. Night's stuff works really well in this half-hour context. It is a super creepy Rosemary's Baby riff. I think that's what I feel comfortable saying about it. But the weirdness inherent in Shyamalan's work that kind of... It's not quite realistic. It's not quite naturalistic. There's something a little bit left of center in all the performances. The writing feels somewhat stilted. That can kind of drag after two hours, and the conceptual weight of his movies can sometimes cave in on, each, on itself. This doesn't really happen with this show. It winds up maintaining this tension that I think is, like, the best part about Shyamalan's stuff. You know what I mean? Like, when you watch, I don't know, uh, The Village... The village is essentially really silly, but for that first hour, it's just like, what is this? And I think that that feeling is maintained in Servant really well. Uh, really beautifully shot, really weird, kind of has a, a little bit of um, 
uh, Rebecca vibe, like Hitchcock, where you're kind of trapped in this house with these people who are maybe losing their grip. Really, really cool show. So Mrs. Fletcher and Servant for that 8 o'clock hour. I'm not going to get too cute here for 9 o'clock. Watch Watchmen. It's the best show on television right now, I think. It's just getting better every week, which is something that it is a really rare occurrence on TV. I think even shows like Succession have their peaks and valleys over the course of a season as they set up different things. This is a nine-episode run. Watchmen is maybe hitting its like peak peak heights at episode six. I can't wait to see what happens in seven, eight, nine. You're going to want to catch up on this because it feels like every week uh, there's something to talk about with this show. And especially for last week's episode, um, it was really a tour de force. Andy and I broke it down extensively for about a half an hour on Monday's episode. So please check that out if you haven't already. So Watchmen, we've already talked about that. The next hour-long show that I want to suggest is sort of an oddball pick. I don't know how I came across this. I, I don't know why I came across this. I think I was just, maybe I was thinking about spy stuff, espionage, pop culture because of Treadstone. But I came across this show that's on ATT Uverse, which in the streaming wars is a pretty far-flung place. But it's called Condor. And it is a TV remake of Three Days of the Condor, which is this great Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway movie from the 70s directed by Sidney Pollack. And this, this show stars Max Irons uh, and also features performances from William Hurt and Brendan Fraser. And it's just like a really, really good spy show uh, so far. And it, it's really hard to do espionage well in the modern age because digital technology has, ma- has changed espionage so much. So a lot of the, the cool stuff that we associated with spy movies or spy TV or even spy fiction is mitigated by surveillance and the ability to hack into things and all this stuff where it's like you're not really like with the person out in the world because so much can be done virtually. But Condor kind of bridges that gap in a really cool way. A lot of the digital spying techniques are really fascinating. It feels like a very knowledgeable show. And the performances are really excellent. I've only watched a couple, but it's coming back for its second season. I know that it's basically like from what I can tell in some light Googling only available to direct TV ATT Uverse subscribers. So I know that I'm suggesting something that's pretty rare, but maybe you maybe you have access to that. And if you do and you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, I've really enjoyed Condor so far. So uh, I, I can't wait for that second season to come. And the last one, we usually do kind of a late night uh, shout out, like, you know, a, a talk show shout out. And we like to kind of sometimes mix it up with things that we're seeing on YouTube or elsewhere. I'm going to recommend another podcast. It's called Tiger Belly. So Tiger Belly has been, been on for a few years. And it's uh, the work of a comedian named Bobby Lee and his uh, his partner, Kalila Kuhn. And they basically just have this long-running pod that they do out of their house with a couple of uh, friends, all of whom who seem to be working on the show, you know, like videographers and engineers. But they all basically play kind of an on-screen, on-air character on the show. And it's pretty freewheeling. You know, a lot of it, like a lot of comedy podcasts, is about comedy. So your mileage may vary on that. But they're all on YouTube. Uh, and they are usually around like an hour to an hour and a half. And, you know, they feature like, a, if, you're, if you're into comedy, I'm sure there are names you recognize. Uh, every once in a while, there's like sort of more celebrity celebrities like Eric Stone Street from Modern Family did one and Jordan Peele did one. There's a bunch of people. But, you know, basically podcasts are as good as the chemistry of the people who are on it. And somehow Bobby Lee seems to have chemistry with everybody. 
Uh, part of it is, you know, that thing that has kind of become a staple of podcasts, which is sort of the self-mythologizing of the hosts themselves. I'm sure Andy and I are guilty of it. But, you, you know, you basically have to buy into this kind of weird world that they make, this reality that they make within the podcast. But the conversations that they have, I find, are always really funny. There's always really good anecdotes in there that people are always really, really candid, but they never drift off too far into self like solipsism, you know, like they're not simply there to, you know, promote stuff or to complain about things or to kind of talk about their own inner pain. It's really like a fascinating, often hilarious uh, back and forth with people that he knows in and around the LA comedy scene or that he's known from his years either doing bad TV or uh, lots of sitcoms and lots of appearances and other, and other stuff. And his repertoire with Kalila is really, really fun. I just, I've, I've only recently discovered it you can find those on the Tiger Belly YouTube channel, and I really find them quite enjoyable to watch. And the way that they shoot them, you know, isn't Filmmaker's Corner or anything, but they basically do a, a three-panel screen. So you can see one shot that is, like, everybody talking together. There's one camera angle that's on Bobby and Kalila and another camera angle that's on the guest. And that may sound way too busy and frantic when I'm just describing it, but actually watching it is really cool. You know, one of the things that's been fascinating over the last five five or six years is I find that my brain is able to process imagery in a different way, probably because of the amount of time I spend, you know, clicking through tabs or having different streams of information, whether it's um, a video and, and a podcast and music. And, you know, I try not to do all that stuff at once, but we're basically reprogramming our brains anyway to be able to receive information in these different quadrants at once. and I think watching three different camera angles at once is not actually that complicated when you when you get down to it. And especially when the conversation is so easy to follow and easy to enjoy as it is on Tiger Belly. So strangely, I think kind of innovative in the way they depict the conversations, or maybe not innovative, but really charming. Uh, and I really highly recommend it. You know, you, you kind of want to drift off with some friends at the end of the night. It's It's a really cool way to go out. So Mrs. Fletcher on HBO, Servant on Apple TV, Watchmen on HBO, Condor on the AT&T Audience Network, U-verse. Like, I, I honestly, I'm sorry, but it's really hard to figure out how to watch it. But I've watched it because the first few episodes are available on the AT&T site if you want to watch them. And then Tiger Belly on YouTube to end the night. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, my conversation with Ben Smith, the showrunner of Treadstone. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Watchmen. Can't get enough of HBO's Watchmen? Now you can go deeper inside the show critics have called your new TV obsession with the official Watchmen podcast. Hosted by Watchmen executive producer and writer Damon Lindelof and Craig Mazin, the creator of Chernobyl, the new podcast explores narrative choices, uncovers Easter eggs, and examines the show's connection to the groundbreaking graphic novel and to modern events. A reimagining of the world originally seen in the groundbreaking 1980s graphic novel of the same name, Watchmen is set in an alternate history of present-day America, where the lines between vigilantes and mass crime fighters are blurred, and the only true superhero is nowhere to be found on Earth. Stylized, darkly funny, and profoundly human, the series stars Regina King, Gene Smart, Don Johnson, and Jeremy Irons, and features music from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Watchmen is available on streaming and on demand, and catch new episodes Sundays at 9 p.m. on HBO. Then listen to the official Watchmen podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by American Express. 
I am one of the lucky few with a commute in LA that only takes about 15 minutes. Don't hate me. I'm sorry. It's the truth. But I still make the most of my drive by listening to my favorite podcasts. I'll get a head start on shows like House of Carbs, Binge Mode, or The Big Picture. And then I'll finish up an episode when I get to the office. It's a great way to ease myself into the day no matter how your morning commute looks. You can ease your mind a little bit knowing that with Green from Amex, you're getting three times points on travel, including transit like taxis, rideshares, subway swipes, and even ferry rides for those of you who get to enjoy a nice little breeze on your way to work. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Green from Amex. Terms apply. All right, I'm so excited now to be joined by Ben Smith, who is I mean, your showrunner, I, I assume, is the proper title for Treadstone, but so much more. Because um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you in, Ben, is that as I was reading about you, often Andy and I will have guests and, you know, their their sort of attachment to a show or a movie or something will be like, well, you know, studio asked me to come in and give my spin on, on this piece of intellectual property or give my take or angle. But it, I imagine you're almost on the other side of that table because you're almost like the guardian of a lot of this IP that's come out of like the Ludlum books. So I was wondering if you could just to start with, tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Uh, what it is I do. We have a production company based on the lot. Uh, we do the Bourne movies. Um, we work with a lot of the Ludlum IP. We also have other things that we're doing, other shows and other movies. Mm-hmm. But that is a that's kind of the jewel in the crown of our company. I've been involved for twenty years. Yeah. Initially, I I was an agent many years ago at ICM, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, was Doug Lyman was interested in doing the Born Identity, and I was asked if I'd ever read it. Um, and I had as a kid. My grandmother was obsessed with Love yeah. Them. It was actually the first hardcover book that I got as a 12-year-old kid was the Parsifal Mosaic and loved, loved it. And I told uh, him that I was a huge fan of the book and would love to help him put it together. Mm-hmm. I had just seen uh, Dolores Claiborne, yeah. which uh, Tony Gilroy had written, and I loved, I, I worked a little bit with Kathy Bates, and I loved um, the characters that Tony had created within this world of both Jennifer Jason Lee's character and Kathy Bates. And I knew that Tony could write a terrific thriller from the work that he did before and on Devil's Advocate, and these are movies going back oh, many sure. years. Yeah. Um, you're talking and, to a guy who did a 90-minute podcast about proof of life. Okay, so, so you, yeah. yeah, you're you're very familiar. <laughs> yeah. um, and thought that because there was such a strong structure and idea that Ludlum had brought within the idea of born identity, that Tony bringing some of the characterizations that he does so well to this kind of world could really elevate it. Yeah. Um, so that was that was kind of step one. And I had no skin in the game. I was just a fan. Uh, and not shortly after the Ludlums people contacted me and asked if I'd be interested in working with them. Right. So then you work at a place called Captivity, right? Right. Captivate. Captivate. I'm sorry. Yep. Captivate. And, and Captivate sort of oversees like the Ludlum stable of properties, yeah. right? One of the interesting things you mentioned there with Tony and obviously with Lyman and then later with Greengrass and, of course, Matt Damon is it It feels like everybody who comes into contact with the 
the born property, but like in general, these stories is they leave a little bit of themselves behind. And then I guess your job is to sort of grapple with all these things and also the Ludlum legacy and what the vision for that. How do you go about managing not only all these different viewpoints, but how how important this has become to so many people? Uh, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I have a conception of how Treadstone should look and feel mm. and be because of the way I've seen in the movies or the mm -hmm. way I've read in the books. Mm -hmm. But your job is to sort of manage my expectations and also give me something new, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious about where you come in and the creative process and this kind of stuff. Uh, Treadstone as a concept is something, and I'm going to dive into Treadstone as a as a— because that'll help sure. you yeah, understand yeah. a little bit better about kind of my POV. The idea of doing a show in the sandbox that Ludlum has, um, and this is within all of his books and all of the films or the films that have been made in terms of Born, is it, it's about how one person um, can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And in the world today where we feel so kind of isolated and that we can't make a difference. His whole kind of agenda was that you can make a difference yeah. and that one person can have an impact while against this crazy uh, global geopolitical landscape that we live in. And that's a core, that's a core concept that we like to, to play with yeah. and evolve in, in the films and now in the TV show and in talking to different writers and, and uh, we had, we're working at um, at Fox on this with Chris Morgan. We worked with Anthony Zyker on this at CBS. Mm -hmm. And I met Tim Kring, and we started talking. And Tim, as you know, created Heroes. Mm -hmm. um, and he started talking about kind of the Heroes template and, and how this could look in terms of a Treadstone world. And I loved it. Yeah. I, I, as a jumping-off point, the idea of having sleeper agent cicadas um, waking up in different places around the world after having been basically left out in the cold and having no awareness of even joining a program was mana to me. Yeah. And, you know, part of the, the born identity is identity. Um, yeah. And who are you and who are your masters? Um, and when we first meet Jason Bourne in the movie, he's coming out of the water um, as if almost giving birth. Sure. Um, and then finding out who he is and what his powers are. And that's an archetypal idea that people around the world can relate to. So having a show with the the kind of the fulcrum being that different characters are waking up and having no idea that they even had these skills and that they're being sent in these directions and then grappling with who they are was very key in terms of the kind of the Ludlum POV. Yeah. And then and my POV. For sure. Uh, when you first started getting, I think I remember the article about you leaving ICM was around 08 when yeah. you first started to take over this. And in 08, we had no idea that we were going to be seeing this kind of television landscape that we are in now. So can you tell me a little bit about how things have changed in the industry and in terms of how we watch TV that maybe were beneficial for Treadstone? Yeah. I mean, what drew me to Hollywood as a, um, as a kid was stories and the impact that these stories had on me um, and kind of the mythology that they presented on screen drew me out here and so many other people that I know. Mm -hmm. And today... 
And we've seen this shift, and I'm sure you've talked to many people about this on your show, but in the last decade, um, there's been a major shift in terms of, like, character, story, drama, thrillers on screen as opposed to on the television. Mm -hmm. And I think that a decade ago, um, I was very aware of what was opening up every Friday night. Yeah. And had tickets to things opening up on Friday night. That now happens— Probably four times a year. Really? For me. Yeah. I, I'm aware because I, I'm a moviegoer and I'm an AMC Stubbs member <laughs> where I get the free tickets. And I'm like, okay, they're not free, but I watch television. Yeah. And because I like good stories. And for us, in terms of being able to sit and be with characters and evolve with them and show them, yeah, the 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 freedom um to live with a character like on our show, like Soyun, and watch her be awakened as a housewife with a young child in North Korea, yeah. um, and then see how that plays out. It's awesome. You, you think about even for viewers, you know, you, you, when you're watching even the, the first episode of the season, as a viewer, even though I watch a lot of TV, I can tell that my brain is ready to accept certain things that it wouldn't have been in 2009. And, you know, where it's like, I can handle 73 and current day or, you know, like the 70s plot line and the current plot line Mm -hmm. and all these characters and not knowing exactly how they're all going to converge or intersect. And if you introduce somebody new to me in the third episode or there's these turns. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I feel like, you know, like, yeah, I don't want to spoil things for people who haven't gotten there. But, like, you know, I'm not, like, thrown off when when different characters emerge like that. The way you might have been seven years ago, Mm. nine years ago. Mm. I mean, the, the, the... opportunity for really complex storytelling and asking viewers to just go on this journey with you must be really exciting. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the, because this is something that I think about a lot and talk a a lot about, um, it's because we're able to process as as a people, I think, information so much quicker than we could even seven years ago. Yeah. Because of, I mean, I don't know, a fifth of my life is probably living lived in a digital space mm-hmm. with computers and phone. I mean, there's a lot. Oh, of think time. about how much of the other four are all the four parts are mitigated by, by that. that. Yeah, 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 that we're just getting bombarded and processing information at such a quick speed, and that yeah, te- a television show um, has to to reflect that mm-hmm. um, because you can get bored um, easily. Yeah. Or I do because we, because there's I think that. I know that I have a little bit of ADD, and I need some jolts. I need to like keep me keep me interested, keep me hooked. Um, so yeah, I, was that like this ten years ago? No, no. Do I think that shows like Heroes or Game of Thrones also helped us in terms of being able to juggle multiple storylines? Um, yeah, yeah. It ch- I think it changes the chemistry of our viewer brain mm-hmm. to be able to like watch Lost, and especially now to think back on Lost and be like. I was able to put this part of my brain on a shelf and know, okay, this is happening on the island. This is happening at a different timeline. This is happening on the other side of the island. And I can keep those three things going because I know I'm being taken somewhere. And I, I, I do feel the same way when watching Treadstone where I'm like, okay, like I'm trying to keep like all the da- the various characters straight as far as who could or couldn't show up in different places here. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 But you do have a trust inherent in that. And I think also the trust comes from 
how much these the movies have meant to me over the years. Mm. You know what I mean? And mm. even and 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 even with Legacy and Born, where I was like, oh yeah, like this is this makes sense to me, and this is like a world I really enjoy spending time in. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I uh, one of the things I wanted to sort of compliment you on, and but also talk a little bit about is. Man, you never feel like you're on a soundstage in LA with this show, mm. and that's the, one of the coolest things about it is is how lived in and of the world it feels. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about the production and shooting? Because I know you guys have multiple crews going in all these different places. You racked up quite a few frequent flyer miles, I'm sure. Yeah, I actually in the last ten months um, have flown about two hundred and fifty thousand miles. <laughs> how are you feeling? Which is insane. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I needed a week uh, where I basically just sat and stared at a wall. Yeah. I was like, I don't even need to turn on the TV. <laughs> I just need to sit in one place for a little bit of time. Um, it was an amazing experience. Uh, one of the important things in terms of kind of bringing something in this canon and in this mythology of Bourne parts that I love um, when I'm watching a Bourne film is the uh, the kind of travelogue aspect of it and that it does take me to different parts of the world and it's a different POV when we're in Morocco and mm-hmm. Ultimatum or the Philippines and Legacy. Oh, yeah. That it's a different look. It's not a Bond look. Um, it just, it's a different look. And, and I love that part of it. And when we were talking with the um, with the studio... I made it like, like this was what we're gonna do. Yeah, it's like we're it's gonna part be, of the package. It's, yeah. This is part of the package of our show, um, and they embraced it completely. And we ended up shooting, uh, we ended up shooting in Amsterdam, Greece, Paris, London, Hong Kong, Taiwan, India, Africa, Colombia. Amsterdam? Did I say yeah, that? Right? Amsterdam. Yeah. yeah. So, so are you guys doing skeleton crews? Like what what's the yeah, what's we the had, setup? So it for production, we were based in Budapest mm-hmm. and we had three units shooting almost all the time. We had our main unit shooting in Budapest, and we did have, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand square feet in studio space, but we're mostly location based. I would say probably 70% mm-hmm. were on location. And then we had an action unit shooting simultaneously every day. And then we had a small foreign unit that um, was traveling. Okay. And that was, we worked with local crews. So while we had a smaller Budapest unit traveling, we had a full Indian crew Mm -hmm. that we worked with locals. We had a full African crew that we worked with with, uh, Ghanaians in Ghana. We had a full Colombian crew when we were shooting in Colombia. So how does that that work when you talk about traditional roles like what is – like a Brad Anderson episode of the show, like mm. is he overseeing dailies coming in from different places? No, is he trotting? No. Like, yeah, <laughs> Brad and I were loving it. When we're shooting in Ghana um, four months ago. Wow. And it was incredible. Alex Graves trekked up, or Alex and I trekked up the mountains to um in the Himalayas to shoot episode three. And Jeremy, Jeremy Webb, uh, who does our finale and is phenomenal. Traveled. We went from uh, Am- we went to Amsterdam. Shot in Amsterdam. We flew from Amsterdam to uh, Korea mm-hmm. and shot in Seoul. And then we sh- flew from Seoul to Colombia and shot in Colombia. And it was awesome. That's just it's and it's like it was amazing. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. I mean, uh, it, it really is. You realize when you when you're watching the show that how essential that is to the movies and and how it wouldn't have been the same thing mm. if it had just been the crisis 
the crisis CIA crisis room show. Mm. You know what I mean? That they ha- it has to feel lived in. One of the the tenants. Um, cause people were exhausted, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it is grueling, but for me, it's like another few hours in a flight to bring some epic place in Ghana or in some cool situation in Korea to viewers. It's worth it. Like, yeah. We got it. Like guys, come on, like, let's just spend another five hours on the plane and go shoot this. Um, so it is about the viewers. How much five dimensional chess do you have to do in terms of multiple seasons, but also possible movie executions that may or may not be in conversations, other Ludlum books. Like, how much holistic thinking do you have to do about, like, the, for lack of a better term, born universe? Uh, a ton. Yeah. All the time. But it, it always goes back. I mean, yeah, there's macro always, but the macro, when you think about a a born movie, um, like Born Supremacy, which is just a brilliant mm-hmm. film, there are a lot of different layers. Um, there's the the kind of the political conspiracy layer, but the most important part is the the emotional hook, mm-hmm. um, and what what's the activation for your for your characters. And in two, it was the death of Marie. Yeah, um, Damon was just on Bill's pod talking about that. He was still talking about like that was, it has to be this way and. That's why he said it was, that was his favorite of the series because of just the emotional wallop it kept packs. That was yeah, and that was an engine actually for another three films. Yeah, so that's the most important part: is are we connected uh, with the with the character? So we're talking about um, you know we're working on other films and we're working on on talking about another season hopefully, and what the does that look like? But it always starts from the emotional hook of the character. Is there, like, a command center where you have, like, a whiteboard of, like, the timeline and the characters and the world that you guys are building out? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like yeah. to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that's pretty complicated. Uh, yeah, like, um, it is, but you just, like anything, mm-hmm. I mean, the show is complicated, but you just break it apart, you know, and, and, and you tackle one thing at a time mm-hmm. um and then you build and that's what that's what we did with treadstone um and that's kind of what i do with everything it's just like what do i need to focus on now yeah. do we have the core the core principal idea and then you build one of the things that i've always been interested in with this sh- with this universe but also especially with treadstone itself mm-hmm. is the light links to our world without ever feeling like it's uh, subservient to mm-hmm. it. So basically, like, some of the political actors and global forces there resemble what we see in the newspaper every day. Mm-hmm. But you're not chasing headlines and not being forced to be overly reactive to that. To what extent do you feel like this universe has a tight, like, an actual solid connection to the world we get up and look at the Washington Post every day, and we're like, okay, Ukraine, interesting. Like, I got to read about that. Like, how do you guys basically create this shadow world? Uh, we're, I mean, we're very aware of what's happening sure. in the world, without question. And does that inform us? Yes, uh, to a degree. And it's something that we've talked a lot. I mean, there was a, a previous incarnation where one of our characters walks through um, a uh, a rally where there were figures that we know, and I said, "No, we can't do yeah. that." Like I, I don't want to know. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to talk about leaders that are uh, there today. A, it 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 dates your show immediately, mm-hmm. but it also takes you out when you're watching it. 
So North Korea, it wasn't uh, not obvious, but was a cool place to explore and to just because of, of our perception of it. Mm-hmm. And I've spent a lot of time um, over the years, and I've been fortunate enough to have somewhat of a relationship with the CIA and went to Langley and talked about, met with one of the heads of the the North Korea division. And the first thing that he said to me was, because um, he knew that we were working mm-hmm. in this space and we'd like to vet what our, or I like to vet what our stories are in terms of like the rogue nuke, what's going on in North Korea. Just the like, stiletto thing. Yeah, yeah right. just yeah. like the big, and just like how, like, how far away is this from a potential reality? Sure. Um, and everything that we're talking about. I can, I can imagine the answers there might be a little scary. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the, at the end of the, um, at the end of the day where we met with a, a ton of people, it was like, whoa, we were, we're, Really close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the first thing that he said about— Please don't say that. The, the, No, but— Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, the first thing he said about North Korea is everyone loves to live there. Yeah. And there's a lot of popular, or at least my misconceptions, about what life was like in North Korea. And to show a, a family and that people are people, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that people have different ideologies, but that people are people. So that was another core thing that we wanted to show. Uh, my co-host Andy and I have been spending a lot of time over the last couple of weeks talking about shows like Watchmen and Mandalorian. And one of the sort of unifying things that we've been discussing with both of those things is how those showrunners are essentially doling out information Mm -hmm. and how, what they've chosen to hold back versus what they show. And I think Treadstone easily falls into that conversation because one of the most fun parts about this show is that this is the secret world within the secret world mm. and that there is a secret world often unknown to the people who are the characters themselves. They There's an unknown part of themselves that they're discovering and then there's an unknown – there are unknown layers to these intelligence agencies. Um, yes. Thematically, that's so exciting. But mm. as a storyteller – how do you balance the sort of the deep dive you want to do on that versus what you need to tell me as a viewer on a week to week basis? It, you're pe- just like what you're saying. Yeah. You're peeling an onion. Yeah. Um, and you got to do it carefully. And you you don't need to unpeel the whole onion at one time. And the minute that you think you do know what's going on, uh, you don't. Mm-hmm. And that goes for a journey of yourself or a journey of a of a conspiracy. Um, the minute that you think that you do know what's up, uh, you don't. And on a week-to-week basis, we we kind of look at character by character. We know where we're going. We mm-hmm. know where, where they're headed. Um, but what are the challenges for them to be able to discover what that next layer is? Are there any particular characters? So I believe we're up probably when this runs next Wednesday will be at episode seven. seven. Yeah. Right. So – are there any characters without going too into detail who, you know, who who have emerged as like not clubhouse favorites or personal favorites, but like ones that you were like really have drawn it, found yourself attached to, not only in the pre-production and creative process, but even in the watching the sh- the episodes. Like maybe a character who's been brought to life by an actor in a way that you didn't see on the page or didn't even think about in your head when you guys were first talking about the show. I, uh, boy. I've been living with these characters for a while now, and I gotta say, um, 
there's a lot of surprises still to sure. come for the for the show that I'm really thrilled with everybody. Yeah. Like we have some of my friends put together a screening of the show every week and we all get together and have dinner. Oh, that's really cool. And so tonight Hu Zhu, who plays So Yoon, is coming and watching. And just the way that she's embodied the character of yeah. So Yoon is incredible. That's what I would say. I mean, that was like that, that was the, the the plot line that's really jumped out and been so exciting. She's um yeah, Hu Zhu is uh is incredible and her dedication to her character. I mean, I remember in the pilot when she had to, she cuts a carrot, mm-hmm. um, and she went to training with <laughs> uh, with like this master chef in Korea for three months to be able to chop that carrot like that. Like that's the dedication that she brings. Yeah, um, Jeremy and his, I, I mean he he almost becomes Bentley on set, and I'm so grateful for Jeremy's portrayal of Bentley because I believe him. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that he's going through this this journey and it's an incredibly hard uh, character to embody and it's kind of the most born-like yeah. of the show. Um, Brian, I think that the twist in terms that, that Brian in episode four uh, had a lot to convey mm-hmm. Um playing Doug and I think that he does an incredible job because it's in it's to be to find out that you have been a part of this program um and I won't give a spoiler away but how that's affected sure. your immediate family yeah of course um that's uh, a real gut punch, gut punch moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah and you're either gonna land it and roll with it and make it something. And I think that um and I think that the way that Brian has done that is is incredible. And then a, a another personal favorite. Actually, I I love them all. No, I know it's but, like asking to choose your but kids. Yeah, yeah, no, and the way that Tracy has Tracy is elusive in terms of Tara, because Tara is on a a, a journey of discovery. Um She's kind of the audience avatar in the beginning. Like, you mm-hmm. kind of feel like, okay, this is my in. This is the journalist that, mm-hmm. who's who's being brought into this world sort of against her will. Mm-hmm. But obviously there's, evolu- you know, like there's steps there. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of my friends um, and, like, my mom or my sister, they love, they love Tara. They love Petra, um, both younger and older Petra. They really identify with them. Um, and they they appreciate how Tracy kind of embodies Tara in that she um, is unapologetic Mm -hmm. um, and she is who she is. um, And you have to to meet her on her terms, which is not always how every kind of television character is. Sure. So I appreciate that. Um, We can wrap up there. Ben, thank you so much for coming by. Rock and roll. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Treadstone, we'll be watching, and we'll we'll have to have you on again sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Watchmen. Can't get enough of HBO's Watchmen? Now you can go deeper inside the critically acclaimed new series with the official Watchmen podcast. Hosted by Watchmen executive producer and writer Damon Lendeloff and Craig Mazin, the creator of Chernobyl, 
The new podcast explores narrative choices, uncovers Easter eggs, and examines the show's connection to the groundbreaking graphic novel. Stream Watchmen now and catch new episodes Sundays at 9 p.m. only on HBO.